This episode is made possible by the Beyond Curriculum patrons, Travis and Dina Daniels, Brian and Laura Hobbs, Dwayne and Linda Merritt, and Jonathan Moore. Thank you for supporting the show. I'm your host, Julie Moore, and you're listening to the final episode in Season 1 of Beyond Curriculum, the podcast series about something often missing from the homeschool conversation, the perspectives and values that make it possible to cultivate lifelong learners. Last time on Beyond Curriculum, we began exploring a big what if. What if something goes wrong? For homeschool moms, little else can strike fear into our hearts like the concern that we may be adding the challenge of a learning disability in one or more of our kids on top of the already intense challenge of taking on the full responsibility of their education. I've seen that worry in many mothers' eyes over the years, and I've felt it in my own heart on two occasions, the first of which I shared with you in episode eight. And now I'll tell you about the second. Just as Jonathan is our quintessential firstborn, his second sister, Jordan, is our quintessential baby of the family in that she is very different from her three older siblings. All of our children have unique strengths and weaknesses. They're unique individuals, not just the more kids. But just as Jonathan has had the firstborn responsibility of being our guinea pig, Jordan has had to endure our bewilderment when she served as the reminder that even with our fourth child, we didn't have this parenting thing completely figured out. When it came time to teach her to read, I used the same reading lessons that had worked for both of her brothers and her sister. I assumed it would work for her. It did, and it didn't. We never blew through the lessons, but we never got stuck either. I never could pinpoint a problem, and I never could rejoice in a challenge fully conquered. We never surrendered in defeat, but we never breathed a sigh of satisfaction in our accomplishments. It was just always mediocre. And so we dutifully plodded along. In fact, I've often said that Jordan could read for two years before she believed she could read. And that puzzled me for years. As I started brainstorming potential episodes on learning disabilities, I asked Jordan, now 12, if she remembered what was going on during that time in her life. She said that part of it was being the youngest in the family. I'm a firstborn, so it never occurred to me what it must be like to be the youngest. Her life is constantly made up of challenges that everyone else has already conquered, skills that everyone else has already mastered, and milestones that everyone else has already passed. Every hard thing, every new thing, every good thing has become a normal thing for the rest of us. So in the social context of our family, in which she spends most of her time, Jordan is often the only one who can't or hasn't done this thing or that thing. I want to stop right here and let that last statement hang in the air while I give a serious shout out to all the babies of the families out there. You must be so much stronger and more resilient than I am. Wow. I can't even fathom managing that reality day after day after day. And yet, somehow, you manage to push through any discouragement that tries to take hold and you go on learning and growing and developing. Way to go. 
So when Jordan would say she couldn't read, part of what she meant was, I can't read the way everyone else can. And because she had no recollection of any of her siblings learning to read, from her limited perspective, she was right. But there was also a secondary cause that was completely unknown to me, also likely understandable to other babies of the family. You may remember one of Joshua's comments in episode four, the kid's perspective on homeschooling. There are things inevitably that they are struggling with and don't understand and need your help on, but they're not going to say anything about it Mm -hmm. because that's not what comes naturally to them. Oftentimes that's what got me into trouble is when I was struggling with something and I needed that verbally processing, but oftentimes You had just had a very full day of wrestling him and wrestling (laughs) one of the girls Uh or dad has had a really tough day and so y'all are having to process that. And if I think that there's a chance that I can figure this out without having to be a problem for you, then I'm going to naturally want to do that. And eventually, sometimes that is helpful. But most times it builds a habit of not talking about it and not asking for help because I don't want to inconvenience my very tired and sacrificial mother. And the only way that I have seen that be fixed is by you taking the initiative to say, Hey, it seems like you're struggling with something. Could you talk about that? And then I go, Ah, yes, my entire life is crumbling down around me. Thank you for asking. (laughs) And then that reminds me to start building a habit of intentionally asking for help. But it usually comes as a result of you taking the initiative, being intentional to see into my life and not let me isolate myself. We all respond differently to the challenges in our lives. As I shared in the last episode, Joshua responded to the challenge of securing a busy mom's attention by stuttering when he was three and by isolating his decision-making as he got older. Well, Jordan figured out that as long as she couldn't read, she had automatically scheduled one-on-one time with that same busy mom every school day. And from her five-year-old perspective, if she became an accomplished, independent reader, that guaranteed mommy time would be taken away. That's not a reward worth working for, is it? Hindsight being 2020, of course, I can look back at both situations, the stuttering and the reading difficulty, and see reality staring me in the face. But slogging through the middle of it, I was really worried that we were facing something I was not equipped to handle. But what does a mom do when she's not let off the hook? When there's not another explanation, when she finds out that added to all of her other responsibilities, she must also guide one of her children through the world of dyslexia. I have several mom friends, homeschool, private school, and public school, facing that reality. They're each doing a fantastic job, and they each have found different solutions. Chris is one of these moms. She's married to Kevin, They have four kids, Michael and Shannon are grown now, and twin sons Jonathan and Christian are the same age as our third child, Jenica. I invited Chris and Michael to share their homeschool story with you. 
I was a school teacher, elementary school teacher, before I had my kids. And once I got pregnant with Michael, I knew that I was going to stay home with him. I wanted to do that. And then when it came time to start thinking about school, I really started feeling like God was leading us to homeschool. Most of our friends were doing private school or public school. And and I'm kind of a follower, but I still felt like God really wants me to do this. And so I went ahead and, and did it. So I picked out my curriculum and stuff, and I started working with him. And I noticed pretty pretty quickly that he was kind of having some a hard time catching on to some things. I do remember it just not making any sense. Just looking at it, you know, trying to, you know, grasp these word patterns. You know, like why certain letters, when they're positioned in a word in such a way, that why they make the sound that they do. I mean, I remember just thinking as a little kid, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I already felt like I was different because I was homeschooled, you know, and then I right. felt like, man, what's wrong with me? You know, like, why? Right. I mean, you know, my friends all get it. I can't. I can't figure it out. I knew he was a perfectionist. I could tell that. But, you know, just wasn't really absorbing and understanding and learning the sounds of letters. And um, so, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, it's my first child to homeschool. Maybe I didn't pick a good curriculum. Maybe there's something wrong with my approach, you know. So I tried a few different things with him, different types of methods and and I thought, you know, maybe I just need to give him a little more time because sometimes boys are not quite as ready for school, you know, mm-hmm. as early as girls can be sometimes. And I kind of observed other boys that were active and liked to do the kinds mm-hmm. of things he did. And a lot of them weren't really reading yet either. So I didn't get too worried. But he was about seven or eight. And I just, we had been working on long and short vowel sounds still <laughs> and we just mm. could he could not not get him he was really struggling and um his younger sister two years younger than him she came along and I started doing school with her and I realized how easily things were coming for her like for instance I remember one day we were reading a poem or something and I was asking Michael can you hear the rhyming words you know we were trying to he was trying to point out the rhyming words and he couldn't hear them but Shannon was in the background and she would pipe up oh that rhymes with you know <laughs> clock rhymes with dog or whatever you know and and I realized okay he can't hear these rhyming words and you know she easily can I just started thinking you know I think maybe there's something going on here and I remember I was starting to notice you know some of his friends were starting to read the ones that maybe hadn't been early readers they were but they were starting to read now at this point and at the time we were living in Stephenville and they had a really good program for dyslexia in their school district and I actually kind of had a connection with one of the diagnosticians in the school district. Her husband was actually teaching a homeschool class there in Stephenville. So I went to her, I went to the school and, and I, I had him tested there, which was all free. It was in the public school. And um, the lady was really nice. She didn't put any pressure on me to put him in school or give me a hard time about homeschooling or anything like that. That was where he was first diagnosed as having um, a reading and a reading learning disability and a writing learning disability. 
and I remember asking the lady, well, how bad is it? Is it really severe? Is it just mild? And I kind of thought she would say mild, but she said, no, it's, it's very severe. So that was kind of my first (laughs) realization. Okay. This is, you know, we're dealing with something maybe more than what I can handle, even though I have an elementary education degree, you know, I didn't feel like I had any expertise with learning difficulties. There are all these places you can go where it costs a lot of money to do all these different things. And then there's all these books with all these different thoughts on it. And I was just like, Lord, I do not know which Mm -hmm. thing to try. And I I read a few books and that kind of gave me a little direction. And about that time, we moved to Fort Worth, back to Fort Worth, because my husband was done with school in Stephenville. And um, I just looked in the phone book and I found Texas Dyslexia Services. And they, it's a place where they do the Davis method. They do a lot of work with clay and a lot of kinesthetic kind of stuff. And Davis, they look at dyslexia as as a gift that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, there are certain things that, that you're really good at because you're dyslexic. And then there are other things that it makes, you know, makes more difficult, like reading. Can you give me an example or, or two of those kinds of things? visual, spatial kinds of things, that special ability that he has to be able to see things in 3D makes it a little harder to do those 2D things, you know, like the flat paper things. (laughs) And so I thought, well, that seems like a positive approach to it. And I think he felt like he had some success with that, but he he was starting to read, but not fluently. By this time... Michael, what did we say? You were about 11? Um, yeah, something like that. At that point, I had talked to some people at church that were teachers, and somebody had put me in touch with a language therapist. And I think she said the person that's doing the testing and the environment where the child is tested makes a huge difference in how they do. That's why we decided to go to Jill, a private diagnostician, as opposed to um like Scottish Rite or something that was free. So it was expensive, but we felt like it was worth it because she Mm -hmm. gave me some recommendations uh, for his education. And I didn't follow all of them, but um, Mm -hmm. one of the things I did follow was I took him to a language, let's see, she was a speech and reading therapist. And, okay. you know, I hadn't really thought about speech therapy, but she was a, she was a language therapist. And um, what she did, she worked with him a couple of days a week at, in her home. And then she basically gave me an education on this curriculum that she was using, which was Linda Mood. It's like a year of schooling to learn how to use the curriculum. So I felt like I was taking mm-hmm. a college class or something. She would send me <laughs> home with all these things to read which she would work with him the two days for a couple of hours. And then I would uh, work with him at home on the other days. And that's when he really started to feel like he was making progress. When I was in middle school, I played, I played trumpet. When I first started playing in Mm -hmm. band, I remember I thought I might not be able to learn how to read Mm -hmm. music. Right. Yeah. I I went ahead and did it. And, uh, and I didn't have any problem. It just, I don't know. It just made sense to me. And it's totally different than learning. Yeah, it's just like okay, when I when I see this dot, Mm -hmm. that position, I put my hand here. 
and it's just a visual thing that you know you you just practice over time and there's muscle memory and you just pick it right up interesting you know? and that's, a, that's the thing with music it's always the same there's rules yeah. There are rules. no exceptions to those rules. Yeah. Oh, that's those rules. They, I mean, you know, they might do some funny things, with, you know, with uh, uh-huh. you know, key signature and all that. But yeah, I mean, right. even then, that's explained, and they don't break it. <laughs> it's just English language isn't like that. Yeah. Well, that reminds yeah. me, Michael. Even when you were learning to write your numbers. You said, I mm-hmm. wish all the numbers were symmetrical, like eight. Oh, yeah. Remember, he would always get them backwards. He'd be like, how am I supposed to remember seven goes this way and, you know, six goes this other way. And I wish all the numbers right. were symmetrical. <laughs> then I couldn't write them backwards. When I did this language therapy with Mrs. Wilson, we went through this curriculum, and she broke it down in a way that made sense to the way that my mm-hmm. brain works. And that's when things, for me, just really just click. Help me when I came across a word that I didn't know, that I couldn't mm-hmm. read. It mm-hmm. gave me the tools to to figure out what word that was, how to say it, how I could, you know, I could break it down into usually like two or three letters. So you're essentially, you're taking a long word and breaking it up into its mm-hmm. syllables and like the core parts of the word. You know, so I was able to just basically to teach myself, you know, like if I found a word that I didn't know, that I didn't know how to read, I could, I had the tools to read. And when I was able to read, then it was easier for me to write. My spelling mm-hmm. was better. And that just kind of got better with time. The yeah. unique thing about that curriculum that he used, Julie, they, she taught him what his mouth should feel like when he said the yeah. different sounds. That whole curriculum was real counterintuitive to me. I never would have thought, I mean, I tried all kinds of things with him, but I never would have thought of doing the things that this, that, that I learned to do, for example, the letter P is a lip popper because when you say P, your lips pop. And mm-hmm. so he learned what his mouth should feel like when he said those. They said they categorized by what your mouth did to make to make the, that sound. Yeah. You know, so it really incorporated all of the senses. It did, yeah. Yeah, because you, know. you can see a picture of what your lips should look yeah. like, and then you can feel what your yeah. mouth is doing, and you can hear the sound and all and that. see what it looks like, yeah. Right. You may have already picked up on this, but because it is such an important point for the mom who's wondering if this is a normal learning challenge or something more serious, I asked Chris to explain how to tell the difference. I could see that Michael was bright, but mm-hmm. I could see that he could not perform to, up to that ability that I knew he mm-hmm. had. And with my other kids, I saw them have struggles, but either trying a different way or um, giving it a little bit of time and coming back to it later, you know, a little bit more time to develop, they seem to continue to move forward. Even though there might be some struggles, it, it in general, it, it came easier for them than what I saw for Michael. Got it. He, he had such a desire and was so frustrated because he couldn't accomplish it. it. So it helped me to see, okay, it's not just I don't feel like doing this or I'm bored with this. It was really, I really want to do this and I can't. Now we come to my favorite part of their story. One of the biggest reasons I wanted Chris and Michael to share their story is because Michael has grown and has successfully launched into adulthood. He's not a kid still struggling with his schoolwork. 
Chris has completed her responsibility of seeing him all the way through his education. So they tell their story not as it is in progress, but knowing how it turned out. And I'm sure you're wondering that very thing. How is Michael doing today in the adult world? I, I, forget, I still I forget I'm dyslexic. Really? You know, I mean, I, I sometimes have to remind myself, like, you're dyslexic. Give yourself some slack, you know, because I forget right. sometimes. Because it's just, you know, now I can just, I just read and write. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't even really think anything about it. You know, what used to be, a, I mean, it used to take everything I had just, mm-hmm. just to sit down and write something or read a book. It just took everything I had. But now, you know, it's, it's just not as big of a deal. as it used to be i'm not the best speller you know my handwriting is not doesn't look the greatest you know and and there's i'm still not real comfortable reading out loud i can do it but it's it's just a little hard for me you know i you know some people can just do it and it's just it sounds it feels real natural and you know it just flows it's it's just but for me it's it's just a little difficult for me to get the words out you know it's just one of those things just like the, the more i did it once I once I understood it, once mm-hmm. it was shown to me in a way that made sense to me, a way sense right. made sense to the way that my brain works, then it, it all just kind of fell into place, and I just mm-hmm. and I could just I could just learn. Yeah, my I mean my my mom my parents you know they they did a great job they handled it well. I've seen kids who they didn't have the kind of help that I did. They just they just struggled for a long long time, and then you know I was able to get it sorted out relatively quickly for anybody that you know has dyslexia learn disability you know just just know that god made you the way he is for a reason you know where i had a hard time learning you know and where i where i struggled and he used that for good and he you know and, and there's other things that he gave you know the way that my brain works the way that i think i'm able to use that in other areas of life like my job now more you know three-dimensional things structural reasoning things like that just make more sense to me you know, and I mean, that's something that everybody just got to find where they fit in life. You know, I didn't really know what exactly it was I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to work with my hands. I knew I wanted to get into some kind of trade. And I just mm-hmm. kind of went where I had an opportunity. And I really enjoyed it. It just came really naturally to me. It was just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I had good teachers and it was just really just God put me where I needed to be. You know, and the gifts and abilities that he's given me and the, the things that I'm not so great at. And it just all works together. And he, he's just got me where he wants me. I had kind of put Michael in, in a box, especially in high school. I was thinking I want him to do the college prep thing. And, mm. you know, I had a, his uh, high school years all mapped out. And my husband had right. to, you know, come to me and say, look, that's not, that's not Michael. That you're going to yeah. have to think outside the box. This is not him. This is not what he needs to do. Sometimes you have to let go maybe of some expectations that you had and say, this, who is my child and what is their strength and, and what do I need to do for them? It may look a whole lot different than your best friend's child or, you know, or one of their other siblings. That's the beauty of homeschooling. Right. <laughs> That's why we do yeah. it. That's why yeah. we do this Educate. crazy thing. <laughs> we're not teaching yeah. the curriculum, we're teaching the child. <laughs> exactly. You may not believe this, but that really is how the interview ended. Chris and Michael's own words have brought season one full circle. We all have our own stories with their own circumstances, challenges, and capabilities. But we also face common changes when we homeschool. We all find a box or two we have to get out of in order to give each of our children what they need. 
and we have not failed if that looks different than it does for other children. This is best accomplished when we team well with our spouses and our kids by seeing things from their perspectives. There will be areas in which we need to approach our son's educations differently than our daughter's, and surrounding ourselves with encouragement and like-minded homeschoolers can help us keep going for the long haul. When it looks like something may be going wrong, it's important to take the time to zoom out and look for clues in the big picture that can help us solve the real problem. All of that is the beauty of homeschooling. That's why we do it. We're not teaching a curriculum. We're going beyond curriculum. And with that, I'm excited to announce we have reached the end of season one. We did it. Thank you so much for sharing in this maiden journey. Thanks to all my guests who have shared parts of their homeschool stories on this show. Y'all have been such an encouragement to the homeschool community. I want to give a special thanks to all the volunteers who made this first season a great success. I couldn't have done this without you. Brian and Glenda Crop, Brian and Laura Hobbs, Jonathan and Joshua Moore, thank you for all your valuable feedback that helped me with editing the show. Lydia Wong, thank you for editing almost every episode, for taking over the artwork, and for encouraging me through the entire season. And to my husband, Jeff, thank you for lending your talent, creativity, and expertise with the music, as well as the production of every episode. I don't think I would have had the courage to start the podcast if I didn't know you were by my side every step of the way. A special thanks goes out again to my patrons for supporting the show. And thank you to all my listeners. Without you, what would be the point? I'm so energized and encouraged as I watch the show's numbers getting bigger and bigger each week. What makes that so exciting is that I know each of those numbers represent new friends I have the privilege of entertaining, encouraging, and helping. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your life. So what comes next? Well, I'll tell you. In a few more weeks, I'll release a bonus episode that introduces season two. It's going to be great, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. I've really enjoyed sharing this season with you. I hope your homeschool year is off to a fabulous start, and I look forward to getting to know many of you through Instagram and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. 